Adam, go. I remember we said you're hosting today. <laughs> no, you said you want to do the nuts and bolts right off the bat. <laughs> okay. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Rebel News Daily Roundup and an argument machine between Sheila and Adam about yeah. who's driving the car today. Uh, this is oh, uh, where we talk. He's driving. I guess I'll do the nuts and bolts. So this is where we talk about the news of the day unscripted. And you know what? To be honest with you, we just had a meeting about who's doing what about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> we still forgot. Um, and normally the show is hosted by David Menzies. But on Friday, it's a special sort of Alberta or Western focused show. Um, and it's hosted by myself, uh, Sheila Gunn-Reed, and my friend and colleague, Adam Sos in Calgary. And uh, currently we're streaming on YouTube. Rumble, Odyssey, and Getter. Um, we're also on Locals.com. We have a Locals community there. If you'd like to join us, you'll get access to all of our paywall content and other behind-the-scenes sort of stuff, as well as all of our free stuff. So that's one way that you can support us. If you're watching us on the censorship platform of YouTube, another way that you can support us is by moving your viewership over to a less censorious platform like Rumble or Odyssey on Rumble. And support the work that we do here at Rebel News by leaving us a paid chat called the Rumble Rant. Um, if you leave us one of those, we'll do our best to address your question, query, comment, story idea towards the end of the show. Or, you know, whenever one of our producers butts in and says, you know what, we got a bunch, you guys should talk about these now. Or on Odyssey, uh, there's a couple different ways you can support us on Odyssey. They have uh, their own cryptocurrency called the library, but also you can do it in regular old fiat currency there too. And those are called hyper chats. So if you leave us a hyper chat, we'll do our best to address those on air live. So it's a great way to support us while taking the show in your own direction. It's sort of the democratization of the news. So I think that's it. I'm going to turn everything over to Adam now, if that's the plan. Take it away, Adam. Yes. That is the plan discussed 10 minutes ago. Uh, right. Wonderful start today, <laughs> obviously. So much good news to get to today. Happy to have you here, Sheila. Um, I guess just right off the bat, I do want to let folks know um, that uh, Danielle Smith, uh, newly uh, minted and uh, now with a clear mandate, um, the first time she was actually elected as the leader herself, um, not solely by the party, but by the province um, both in terms of seats and the popular vote, set today to uh, announce a cabinet. Um, so this will be a massive uh, sort of determining factor in how this uh, party is going to move forward and what her leadership will look like. A great deal of the leadership core in cabinet positions um, that were left with her, um, they were basically Kenny holdovers. Um, not to say that they were loyal to Kenny and, and uh, opposed to Daniel Smith, but some of that legacy definitely carried on. Uh, a number of those sort of key figures, whether it be Tyler Shandro, Jason Copping, Casey Maddow, all people in critical ministerial positions, um, those people are now no longer part of government. Uh, they were they were uh, unsuccessful in their bid for re-election by the narrowest of margins, we're now learning. Um, it remains to be seen if a couple of those, uh, in, the, in the case of uh, Tyler Shandro, are going to be judicially reviewed. But it seems like on recount, the, the margins extended a bit. So um, it's looking like uh, Daniel Smith will have a largely new crop of people to pull from. Um, some interesting key figures who've been at the sort of forefront of her campaigning, uh, whether they be former leadership yeah. candidates or just people who've been intimately involved. Um, we're going to bring you the results. We won't cut to it. It can be a bit tedious. They do a sort of formal swearing in for everybody. But if yeah. if that announcement does become available, we'll let you know. Uh, but is there anything you're watching closely, Sheila? Yeah, I'm watching health, finance, and justice, which are always like the big three 
um, yeah. in Alberta, but I think generally speaking in other provinces. So who will be the health minister, who will be at finance and who will be at justice. And in our meeting that we were, where I forgot what I was supposed to be doing when the show kicked <laughs> off, um, you know, I had sort of given my choice, not my choices, but whom I think uh, might be on Daniel Smith's radar um, and given their high profile during the campaign. So, you know, if the campaign announcement was not being made by Daniel Smith, it was really being made by Brian Jean or Rebecca Schultz. And so um, I, I suspect that Brian Jean might end up at finance. He's, you know, he had been a wild rose leader. He had been a challenger um, for the UCP leadership twice but he's very likable he's well liked people trust him um he's sort of a, a a fixture within the party and i can see him at finance but you had him at health yeah you know it, he, he's a very successful businessman so i think finance makes perfect sense um but i know with the history with what happened with his son with the fact that he is a very likable guy and he's very passionate on that issue i could see that being a clear fit but i mean he'd be equally as capable in uh in either position i just think for for a province that the healthcare system is reeling um i think the ndp was a bit closer than they'd like and lots of people that was concerns on ndp uh promises on healthcare, not that I think they would have delivered them, but someone like someone very likable, like Brian Jean tackling that, I think that would be good. Um, and then one of the other high profile people we talked about, Rebecca Schultz. Um, well, she's currently on municipal affairs. She's been talking about arena deals a lot. She's very sort of invested in sort of the the financials that, that seem to resonate within a city like Calgary. So having her on an important uh, portfolio like uh, like finance or healthcare for that matter, but finance, I think there's a fit there. But those two, it could almost be switched. I could see that going either way. Uh, the one thing we did agree upon in our meeting, and mm -hmm. I, I think we'll both be kind of surprised if it isn't the case, is that Mike Ellis, who is public emergencies and safety, um, did some really sort of powerful stuff. We had the opportunity to speak to him during our, Rebecca Schultz as well, but uh, during our live stream coverage and as well as after that addictions announcement. But Mike Ellis, um, a, a minister already, a former cop, he seems just just sort of earmarked for this justice uh, position. So it'll be interesting. Now, we could be wrong about all of this, and it could completely flip the script on us. But I think those three are probably reasonably good bets for some high-profile ones. Um, but it could be interesting. Another name that is out there, uh, someone like Todd Lowen, um, who mm. would be sort of a significant, uh, and I, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily sure where he would go, but to bring him into a significant position after he was ejected by Kenny would be sort of a repudiation of that and uh, an affirmation of like, this is a big tent party, all voices will be tolerated, uh, included and considered. So that, that would be an interesting play as well, I think. Yeah, you know, I see Todd Lowen at Environment. I think they probably yeah. want to uh, shuffle the remaining Nixon out of that file. Um, just because mm -hmm. of the stigma attached to him uh, being such right. a Kenny Lo Kenny loyalist, being Sky Palace, I see Todd Lowen at environment, um, but, and because of just where he is, you know, he lives in a a forestry based riding. So, I mean, I think he's probably the right fit for the job. I also think that we might see some um, cabinet ministers come from in and around the Edmonton area, but not, of course, in the Edmonton area, because it's a sea of orange in Edmonton. But I think you might see maybe Jackie Armstrong, Homenyuk, um, or, uh, or one of the other sort of somebody from the suburbs, given uh, yeah. uh, like municipal affairs, where they're dealing directly with the cities. I, I, yeah. I see something like that, sort of to 
let the voters of Edmonton know that we have not forgotten about you, that you're not going to be excluded from consideration in cabinet. And I think it would be interesting if one of maybe some one of the young new faces uh, or one of the people who maybe been on the backbench, some of the young people who've been working incredibly hard are very well liked, um, get some surprise positions. But again, in, in 20, 30 minutes, for all we know, they could start announcing this stuff. We don't have an exact timeline for when. So uh, let's move on to some other. Yeah, let's <laughs> Wait, move on to some other stories. One oh, yeah. more story Go I ahead. want to talk about on the Alberta front before we move on. I just in the 10 minutes between we had that meeting and then I forgot what I was doing. Um, I, yeah. One of the reasons I was looking at this is because it was announced this morning, according to StatsCan, that Canada as a nation lost 17,000 jobs, a little over 17,000 jobs in nine, like in the first decline. This is the first time the jobs numbers have fallen in nine months. But wouldn't you know it, Alberta, our jobless rate shrank in May. So while the rest of the country is dropping jobs and the unemployment rate is going up, things continue to get better and better here in Alberta. And so if you were on the fence about casting that ballot for the UCP voters at home, know that you did the right thing because you can see that Alberta is completely divergent from the rest of the country on so many issues, on issues of economy, on issues of job creation, on uh, public safety, addiction. We're doing things different here and it's manifesting in good things every single day. You know, when you have a common sense approach and you reject the sort of woke politics and everything, uh, and, and keep in mind, this this all considering the fact that Danielle Smith is very much a, pro- a progressive personally, but she doesn't need that to be at the forefront of every political decision. She wants to make political decisions, it would seem, that'll benefit everybody. More jobs are good for you. It doesn't matter if you're gay, straight, Sikh, Muslim, Christian, exactly. uh, a better economy, better jobs, better opportunities. Well, that helps just about everybody. Um, I, I did want to get into another Alberta story here as well uh, and it's on the fire it's on the wildfire front this is a story that's yep. obviously affected you personally but you know it's absolutely wild to see i was hoping this would end during the campaign i figured the ndp would sort of launch their attacks lose their minds and then well that strategy didn't work let's let's move on and, and try and be a little more constructive and practical no that's not the case um smith pledges arson investigation into 175 wildfires Good. with no known cause um, yeah, this is pretty much I could read here, but it basically boils down to them hiring uh, an arson investigator from outside the province um, following an unseasonably and early destructive wildfire season. This is the most non-contentious, self-evident, reasonable thing that anyone could ever do. There, if, if you have a problem with this, you're an unhinged lunatic. Uh, cue the NDP. Um, they've... Uh, <laughs> Numerous outlets actually, CTV went off about um, how Alberta Premier is downplaying the links between wildfires and climate change. And then then, uh, Nagwan Al-Ghanid, the newly barely elected... Um, I think she. What's the recount at now? It's like like still less than a hundred or a hundred something. Yeah, it's um, She defeated so. Whitney. Yeah, <laughs> she defeated Whitney Isik. Um, and so she says uh, on Twitter here. Step one is uh, pro- step one in problem solving is defining the problem. Climate change is the challenge we need to solve here. But circulating arson, social media conspiracy isn't going to address climate or wildfires. The world is on climate mitig- the world is in the climate mitigation and building resiliency phase. Let's get to work. So she's like, they ask her, is this from from climate change? She doesn't say no. She's like, well, it was an unseasonably high situation. There are a bunch of reports of arson out there. Um, let's let's get to the bottom of this and figure out what's actually happening here. 
and they're accusing her of peddling conspiracy theories, saying that this is climate change is a conspiracy theory, saying we're going to hire investigators to figure it out is rational sensibility. I just imagine being the arsonist and and getting charged and going to court and then telling the judge, oh, no, no, your honor. Justin Trudeau and literally every progressive in the country said it could not have been me and my matches and my uh, gasoline. It was actually climate change. It was the climate gods. Sheila's SUV made them angry. And so Mm -hmm. uh, fire started. Yeah, you're right. To say that this is climate change and not arson is the real conspiracy theory here. To say that my SUV somehow did so much damage to the weather, it told the climate gods not to have it rain in April and May um, and to even go back further. We didn't have a big snowpack. My SUV did that, not the guy with the matches or not the guy, you know, throwing his cigarette butt out the window. It wasn't that guy. It was all those other things that had to happen for these fires to burn. Are these people yeah, insane? Wild. And you know what? I really like I, yesterday. I did American media hits all day long because they're looking for someone who's mm-hmm. not crazy to talk about the fires and, uh, you know, being from Alberta and Northern Alberta. And then this year, so close to where the fires were. Um, I can speak to this with a level of experience, maybe not expertise, but it's fascinating to see people now rediscovering the cycles of nature right like you're from alberta i'm from alberta we get smoke plumes every single year almost especially where i am because i live like right where the grasslands crashes into the boreal which is another point we're one third forested by the boreal which is like the world's largest continuous forest so of course we're gonna have we're gonna have forest fires but we have smoke plumes in that like orange apocalyptic sky Every year, maybe every other year, couple of times a year, we get it from BC, we get it from Northern Alberta, we can get it from grass fires from the South. It's not unusual for us. The only reason the environmentalists seem to care right now is because the smoke plume now is coming from the East and it's ending up over one of the most populous regions in North America. So it's frightening to the people who are so out of touch with nature because they haven't been off concrete in 10 years. So they forget that nature exists and those of us who live within it, this is just this is just spring, right? Like this is just spring. Sometimes you get floods, sometimes you get fires, but that's what it's like when you live within nature. People who live outside of nature are just experiencing it for the first time in a very, very long time. And it's very scary for them. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's definitely a disconnect for folks who, I mean, I live in the city, but I get out enough. I experience it. We're just yeah. on the outskirts of town here. So like they don't really get that. And and within, within nature, there's cycles of destruction, rebirth. It's normal. Uh, when those cycles clash with your square concrete buildings within the city, um, we're getting a little bit into romantic poetry here, but uh, there's... It can, it can be jarring, but this is normal life. And I think there's also a bit of sort of selective memory. People are like, I don't remember there being fires before. It's like, well, there was. Now, <laughs> in people's defense, this year has been bad. And that's why the premier, sanely enough, is saying, well, we should look into this. Even in Calgary, in the last couple of days, there's been fires. And one of them, they caught an arsonist almost immediately. So there yeah. there are cases of arson taking place. This is this is also factual. So um, is there more than usual? Very, very probable. It's been it's been hot. It's been dry. Maybe. Um, I, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. But statistics show that. Oh, and this like this is 
it, Natural Resources Canada data shows that there is there are actually fewer forest fires burning fewer hectares of forest over the course of the last 10 or so years. So the fires are not yeah. getting worse. You people are just noticing them down east. <laughs> That's the yeah. problem. We always have them. They're not as bad as they have been in the past. Um, you're just noticing them now because the smoke is bothering right. you. Well, and there's also the fact that very often if there's fires during an election cycle, it becomes a point of contention and they draw more attention to it, especially with the NDP's negative style attack ad. Uh, the fact that they defunded a bunch of stuff, but but didn't want to talk about that and then talked about the one sort of elite repelling crew. Um, they, they, they really wanted to make this seem like a negative failure. Um, which is which is not great. I mean, you saw the, quite the opposite with Brian Jean during the fires uh, up north, uh, how, how everyone came together and they were collaborating. Um, so uh, not great to see. Uh, one thing I did want to touch on, and this is actually someone I've known for a long time. He does a lot of storm chasing. Uh, Kyle Bertan, but he's a weather guy, storm chaser, mm -hmm. bit of an expert. Whenever there's one of these stories, I kind of send him a message to get a bit of perspective on it. Um, and there's been a video on social media sort of circulating of a bunch of fires erupting at once. And everyone's like, oh, clearly these are set by people. Um, I believe it's the Quebec fires. Um, one, people probably couldn't set those fires in that sort of unison quite as fast. So very, very clearly what's happening here is a storm front goes over, lightning strikes in the ground, just because like hundreds of people have asked me what, what is actually happening here. And it can start deep root fires or small fires that don't show up on satellite. That storm then passes through. You can see it moving down to the right. He's even provided a link so you can watch like the storm move through on satellite. And then after those high lightning strikes hit within that community and clear out, you see smoke start to emerge. So just for folks out there, I know there's there might be like a, a, a rush to sort of some confirmation bias and you want to see, oh, look, this is a unified setting thing. This is very, very normal. This is what you would expect to see. And I, I've known this guy for probably 15, 20 years. So um, we yeah. had an off the record sort of chat about this. And then he went public and sort of put out this statement. Um, so yeah, do do look, do check out these resources. They are available. You can check out um, fire sources, um, causes of fires, which ones are known, which ones are unknown, current status on fires, potential causes, storm patterns that have gone through the area. So the information is very much out there. And most of what we're seeing now, pretty standardized, except uh, the, the Alberta fires were a little bit bizarre in how early they are and where they were. So I think that, that once again, very rational to suggest hiring uh, an investigator to take a look. Let's touch really quickly. We're on this sort of climate fire front on this Greta Thunberg thing. Um, and then we will, uh, well, I think we're, we're a little bit overdue for an ad break, unless you had something else on the fire front. No, I didn't really. I just think that uh, it's like to to suggest that the environmentalists are that organized the environmentalists remember are largely urbanites they're not people with survival skills they're not going to go out in the middle of the bush set their alarm clocks or their watches to the exact same time or within this, how a storm rolls through and then start lighting fires i just don't think they're that smart organized or have that many survivalist skills like starting a fire to stay alive i just don't think that they can do that <laughs> it when you see like a fire set not too far from a town uh with within relatively close proximity to a church and the church is damaged probably be suspicious complete middle of nowhere in a forest right after a lightning storm probably from the lightning storm but who yeah. knows
Maybe we could be wrong. Um, so Greta, we'll do this last note, and then we'll jump to a commercial break here. Um, school strike week 251. Uh, everything has changed. Greta has changed the climate. There's no more fires, no more catastrophes. Today I graduate from school, which means I'll no longer be able to school strike for the climate. Uh, this is the, the last school strike for me, so I guess I have to write something on this day. Yada, yada, yada. What what do you make of this uh, this uh, school striking Greta Thunberg? Uh, what was the joke from uh, from Ricky Gervais about uh, missing more school than Greta Thunberg? But uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's I, I what what does it accomplish? Well, and how is she graduating when she literally hasn't attended in well, what is it? 250 some odd weeks like there's 52 weeks in yeah. a year like what, what has she been doing like five years is that five years she's been out of school yeah by the way she's 20 she's 20 you know how old i was when i graduated from high school 17 you want to know why because i went every day and <laughs> she is 20 she should be halfway through the university I had a child, I had like a one-year-old at that point, and she's out there holding a sign thinking she's a productive human being. She hasn't gone to school in five years. How? In, I just want to know how she graduated at all. And what's this? The, let's see here, the picture. There's a trans flag. Um, every time. <laughs> every time. I don't know what that has to do with the the climate but anyways more greta being greta i still love that clip of ezra tracking her down sign, and asking her question did that sign say forests are not renewable I well that's a shocker to me oh yeah it does it does say that oh my gosh stop investing in our deaths expect resistance a little mushroom stop underneath making it, me tripping. feel like i should invest in their deaths oh, like <laughs> the, the guy on the left looks like the guy from the ucp protest with the fedora from that clip Ezra played, oh, the guy yes. kneeling on the left, Pat King. <laughs> yes. what was that thing? Friday's future. Okay, all right. Well, there's some characters there. Have fun looking through that. Wow. Um, really quickly before we jump to this ad break, I do want to mention an incredible event that's coming up from Canadians for Truth. Um, I think you've had the opportunity probably to come out to one of their events, but it's uh, Theron Fleury, a Canadian icon Olympian, uh, Jamie Selle, another Canadian Olympian, incredible champions. But it's really great to see they sit down with very interesting guests. They've had uh, Tamara Leach, a number of other people all come down and, and they have conversations you're just not likely to see in the mainstream media well coming up soon sunday june 18th i'm at the great eagle event center in calgary alberta um, they will be having sarah palin for their fire and ice show presented by canadians for truth uh, this is going to be an absolutely incredible event some great conversations touching on on a number of issues it's really interesting whenever i go to one of these events and i'm going to cover it um, I'll, I'll sort of come up with like a topic or a theme that i want to explore and it's always like my questions line up perfectly with where, where they are so if you're watching this if you enjoy these streams um if you're sort of a critical outside the box thinker this is probably a perfect event for you so i do encourage you to go to canadiansfortruth.ca find this event again uh Sunday, June 18th, an evening with Sarah Palin, Fire and Ice presented by Canadians for Truth. We're going to have a large contingency of rebels there. Yes. So grab your tickets, come on down, come say hey to us as well. I'll be doing a report on location as well as an interview with Sarah Palin. Um, so you'll have an opportunity to maybe come on camera, be in a rebel video. So that's always fun. So uh, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to seeing you down there. I'm hoping this thing can really sell out because they're bringing some more big guests. I can't share all yeah. the details, but 
more big guests coming over the coming months, uh, really doing something big. They, they've been so welcoming, so nice to us as well. So I, I encourage you, go to Canadians for Truth. .ca, check them out, support uh, the important work that they're doing. Great to have some alternative uh, sources out there sharing different perspectives yeah. uh, on some critical issues. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and Sarah uh, Palin was really one of the first modern victims of cancel culture, and she really came out the other yeah. side. And, and the, the yeah. ferocity by which the feminist movement attacked her for being a traditional wife and mother, but also an accomplished woman as a governor, um, just you know, if she were on the left, she would have been a darling, a darling of the yeah. left. But her her crime was being a woman of the right. Yeah. Wow. So on that, let's jump to an overdue ad break and then we'll carry on right from there when we get back. Canadians for Truth proudly presents An Evening with Sarah Palin. Former Alaska governor and vice presidential candidate Sarah Palin's remarkable journey and steadfast dedication to speaking up when it's easier to stay silent are just a few of the many reasons you'll want to hear from her. This event will be hosted by Olympians Theo Fleury and Jamie Soleil and promises to provide valuable insights, inspiration, and entertainment. Get ready for an incredible evening, Sunday, June 18th, 2023. The show starts at 7 p.m. at the Grey Eagle Event Center in Calgary, Alberta. But act now because tickets for this will not last. Well, back to the streets of Calgary, a safe metropolis, one of the best places to live in the world. Um, that is until Jyoti Gondek <laughs> took over and the streets became overrun with violent crime. It was really interesting talking recently to Jerry Forbes, like the icon from CJ92, yeah. on, on just how much over 25 years uh, the city's changed. It wasn't until a couple of years ago that it really was borderline not safe to go to these train stations. There was cops everywhere, but they weren't situated at these critical areas because, frankly, they didn't want to deal with this catch-and-release judicial system that we have. But it's gotten worse yeah. and worse and worse. Um, I know Daniel Smith has made efforts in the UCP government um, to bring more authorities in, to have marshals working to secure these areas. Again, pretty wild, though. Now, this is a little bit little bit back, so, so hopefully things are starting to get better, but a retired bull rider suffered a fractured skull in an attack on a sea train platform. I just want to put into context how tough bull yeah. riders are. Like yeah. cowboys are like bull riders are nuts. Like, like most cowboys will not get on a bull. These people are so incredibly courageous. So for on the city streets, hopping on the sea train to have a bull rider's skull cracked it is absolutely unbelievable um is it the same way in edmonton is it just as bad like are things just going downhill with progressive governments in these cities that are voting increasingly ndp shockingly i think it might even be worse in edmonton yeah. viewers if you're watching might i suggest if you really want a snippet of what's happening in downtown edmonton i avoid downtown edmonton like the plague i avoid edmonton generally speaking but if, for sure downtown Edmonton, because I kind of like my car. I don't want it stolen. I kind of like myself. I don't need to be stabbed or harassed on the street. But Edmonton, the downtown core of Edmonton is uh, a place of just extreme human misery. And the city has made it worse. 
because the city for a time was basically turning a blind eye to the fact that the LRT stations were turned into just drug use centers. In fact, the the city government was making it worse because what they were doing was they were handing out needles and and I don't know. I was going to say street and doing it like municipal street ministry, but that's the wrong word when you're encouraging people to languish in their misery. They were doing street outreach, which involved giving away needles uh, in the LRT stations, which is, you know, uh, to use a phrase from the movies, if you build it, they will come. And so the drug addicts knew where you could get needles. So that's where the drug addicts went, which made it even more difficult for people to just use the LRT station to go to work and a lot of if you live and work downtown you need to use the LRT station to live and go to work because you also have a municipal government that is waging a war on cars so so they don't build apartment buildings with enough parking stalls and um you know they don't build um workplaces with enough parking stalls because they want you to get onto the public transit system which is dangerous and dirty and disgusting and um this is what it is so i i think Calgary, you might be playing catch up. Now, as Adam <laughs> pointed out, um, Daniel Smith has deployed um, additional policing resources to the downtown cores of both cities, um, deploying sheriffs down there to try to make it a little bit safer for the law abiding to just use the facilities that they're paying for. Um, and I think it's starting to help. I know that the Chinatown Association, the business association that's right near the downtown core, they were sort of outraged by the lack of resources being uh, spent to keep their communities safe. They work really hard to to clean up their neighborhoods. And the municipal government was sort of shoehorning everybody down there, not in their backyards. We'll put it in the, the backyards of the Chinese community. So um, I, I'm happy to see Daniel Smith not only... Um, take a strong stance against public safety in our downtown course, but to address the root cause, and I hate to use that word since Justin Trudeau did, but the root cause of the addictions and gang problem down there, um, which is really fueling just the fact that it's increasingly dangerous just to go to work if you work in the downtown. So we we just have some breaking news here. The cabinet has been uh, set and surprising uh, results, to be honest. We were pretty much off the mark across the board. Um, well. Some incredibly <laughs> interesting, yeah, some incredibly interesting and, and potentially surprising uh, positions for folks here. Uh, the cabinet is 25 members, a decrease from 27. Uh, I don't Great. mind seeing that whatsoever. And they, they did lose a, a couple spots. So that, that kind of lines up. Um, Danielle Smith will carry on, obviously, as Premier and Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs. Um, Mike Ellis will remain in the same position, uh, but he has also acquired the Deputy Premier um, add-on. So that's that's a bit I'm of promotion. That's yeah, good. That's awesome. Yeah, good. He's been great. Um, and then he'll carry on with Minister of Public Safety and, and, and um, Emergency Services. I, I think that makes sense. You know, he's so passionate about this particular project that it wouldn't have been a bit of a shame to lose him uh, on the addiction sort of recovery and emergency response front. Um, so perhaps that relates to that. Um, Minister of Advanced Education, Rajan Sani. That makes sense given the area that she's in uh, close to the university, not quite the varsity district, but I believe one of the closest regions to the varsity district. Um, so so that very much makes sense. Um, I'm just, I don't know if we want to go through every single one of these. I suppose we may as well for folks out there who are interested. Sure, uh, Minister yeah. of Affordability. Uh, Minister of Affordability and Utilities, um, Vice Chair of Treasury Board, Nathan Newdorf, um, Minister of Agriculture and Irrigation, R.J. Sigurdsson, that makes sense, uh, just south yeah. of the city, Minister of Arts, 
culture and status of women, Tanya Fur, no problem there. Um, Minister of Children and Family Services, Cyril Turton. Um, Minister of Education, uh, Dimitrios Nicolaitis. You know, that one actually makes sense. That's one I was wondering he was about. Advanced, he, he was advanced ed before. Yeah, and he, he's very passionate about education. We are trying to set up an interview just during the election time, but he very much just talked about education. He's a big proponent, um, very intimately connected in the community here. His family is a Greek family restaurant. Um, so he's Mr. I, I think free Speech on campus, too. He's yeah. pretty firm on free speech on campus. So yeah. I'm happy that when he was at Advanced Ed, um, you yeah. know, he it took him a while to get there to speak out against some of the cancel culture things that were happening against professors, but he did eventually. Um, so I'm yeah. I'm not mad to see him stay at education or be moved to education. Uh, energy and minerals, Brian. This Jean, one you know, makes I'm, perfect sense. <laughs> it does. Yeah, I'm surprised to not see him in sort of a high, high profile one. But to this have someone like, yeah, to have someone like Brian Jean going all out on pushing this, it is in a way, I think, a commitment from this government to saying we're going to have one of our top people focused on pushing this critical resource in this He's province. I think it's Fort a very Mac. pro oil. Yeah. He's from yeah. Fort Mac. He's the right guy for the job, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, Minister of Environment and Protected Areas, Rebecca Schultz. Very interesting. Um, Odd choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would have envisioned her somewhere higher. But again, she, she does do very well, I think, in the municipal regions. Perhaps voters who are concerned about this, um, perhaps Edmonton voters or people who are in the 20 margin areas to see someone with a high profile on environment. Maybe that was the intention with this. Um you can't help it doesn't you can't help but feel a little bit like both with Brian Jean and Rebecca Schultz being very much at the forefront, being former leadership candidates. They aren't being thrust into a they're gonna what? be the next lead. Yeah. I I'll I'll add something to that and just on the flip side. Those are two portfolios yeah. wherein Daniel Smith has absolutely promised to take Justin Trudeau to task on issues of yeah. environment and energy. So she put her yeah. two um, you know, her two closest allies. Now they were leadership contenders, but it looks like yeah. they're very close allies to her and th they're very competent. The, they were very high mm -hmm. profile during the campaign. I think they were some of Daniel Smith's strongest campaigners. So to yeah. put them in portfolios where they are going to be challenging the feds every single yeah. day, looking at it now, like looking at it, it makes perfect sense. These are not demotions. Yeah. These are, no. battleground ministries well and unlike putting someone into a like clear-cut promotional like you're the minister of health education one of those really big ones justice finance whatever it may be um, i think this is elevating these positions and, and saying where alberta is going to be moving forward um, and i think it is also putting people on these contentious having both of these people um acting as the advocates on these fronts uh, they're very much in line with what with what danielle smith has said and she's received some pushback on some of her environmental talk um but she has talked about it very much in the sense of selling carbon capture bringing in green technologies unlike the feds who talk about that stuff and do it at the at the sort of penalty or the reduction of oil. I think Danielle Smith wants Brian Jean going all out selling Alberta oil around the world. And then she also wants Rebecca Schultz promoting our environmental opportunities and alternatives, bringing in new business investment in that way. So a uh, very interesting uh, along the lines of what we said before, uh, not necessarily environment, but forestry and parks, Todd Lowen. I think that makes sense. Um, this Perfect. one is one I want to get your, 
I want to get your opinion on um, Adriana Lagrange, longtime uh, health moving or longtime education or minister, education. rather. Yeah, education moving over to health. What what do you make of that move? I think she's about to fight with the unions in the health, like the health sector, because she took mm -hmm. on the unions in education. Fair and fair and brought forward the uh, government's agenda, and basically mm -hmm. told the unions to stuff it. We'll work with you if you want to work with us, but if you're not going to work with us, then we're just going to do what we're going to do. And I think this signals a strong revamp of the health sector. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that that probably makes sense. I didn't even consider that. Uh, you're being the optimist today saying this is great. And I'm like, I don't know about this. Um, you know, that that makes sense. She had she was tackling unions. She was tackling an institution, standing up against constant pushback. And uh, say what you will, she did so somewhat competently, certainly. So to have her in this new position where they're going to be cleaning up, making some changes, um, I think that's good. Having someone with some gravitas and some experience. Uh, that makes perfect sense. Um, Mohammed Yassin on Min Minister of Immigration and Multiculturalism. Uh, Rick Wilson carries on Minister of Indigenous Relations. I think he's been he's doing great. a really good job. Yeah, the, lots of the uh, local communities and chiefs seem extremely happy um, attending a number of UCP events um, during the campaigns. Uh, Minister of Infrastructure, Pete Guthrie, Minister of Jobs, Economy and Trade, Matt Jones. That's a bit of an interesting one. Um, I believe he was on affordability before, so that would definitely be a, a, uh, a promotion uh, for him, I would imagine. This is an interesting one. Uh, Minister of Justice, Mickey Amory. Uh, well, what do you make of that one? I've had the opportunity to talk to him a few times, but that one I did not see coming. No, I don't know much about Mickey Amory, actually, uh, to my great shame. But, uh, you know, he's Calgary Cross. Um, I, he's young. Um, yeah. I, that's all I know. And he's a former lawyer. So, yeah. I, I mean, but most politicians are former lawyers or at least have a law degree. Um, I don't know much about him. He was children's services before, if I recall correctly. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, so, you know, one, one thing, you know what? One thing that is. I don't know. Sorry, go ahead. One no, thing that is know. encouraging. One thing that is encouraging there is when I did have the opportunity to interview him, I've, I've spoken to him a couple of times, uh, but on on the children's sort of uh, bureau within that ministry, um, one of his big sort of advocacies was for sort of individual rights and, and, and uh, daycares not to be sort of brought into this envelope of like the, the, the Trudeau vision of a like sort of monolithic state funded thing. Um, he wanted to advocate for individual rights, responsibilities. Um, and now that doesn't directly carry over to the justice position. I think it is promising to see that while given the opportunity to address things on a different front, he was advocating for individual uh, freedoms and a little bit of subsidiarity, something that I espouse for. Break it down to the sort of lower levels of authority so that they can deal with things more locally. But this and, would be, I think, go ahead, sorry. No, I was just going to say he's another second generation MLA too. There's another second yeah. generation MLA on the list here. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny. This is a I think this is the big biggest promotion. Town. Yeah. yeah, this is the biggest so. promotion by far. I think this this catapults him onto the the spotlight. I mean, winning in Calgary was big. This may be uh, we need one of these strong voices within Calgary. Um, also, with all the talk of concern and criminality within this area, um, 
having him within Calgary tackling justice, that's big. Um, I'm sure I'll have the opportunity to speak with him soon about this because he's been very open uh, and willing to have conversations. So that's an interesting one. That's one that we're going to have to follow closely and react mm. to. Uh, great to see uh, Dan Williams on that portfolio of uh, mental health and addiction. Um, I did have the yeah. opportunity. Um, he, he's one of those incredible advocates. Um, he spoke out in defense of students, unvaccinated students who weren't be al being allowed to return to school. Um, he recently also issued a letter in defense of Catholic education and the merits thereof. I interviewed him on that as well. Um, Dan Williams is just a solid egg. He's a good guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's compassionate. I don't want to go too much in his personal story because I don't know how much right. of it is shared publicly, but he, he has some sort of personal testimony on this thing. So I think he's going to be a passionate advocate. Um, Rick McIver, I believe, carries on on municipal affairs. He and yeah. Schultz are both on that before as well. So uh, no change there. He is one of the sort of instrumental people whenever something can't quite get done, especially like the ring road around Calgary. Rick McIver was the guy to kind of put the pedal to the metal. Um, Jason Nixon, Seniors, Community and Social Services. I believe that was Rajan Sani's position before. Yeah. So a little bit of a downshift, reduced uh, yep, profile, for sure. I think. For sure. um, I, I think some people might have expected him not to be in a seat in one of these cabinet or ministerial positions at all, but uh, a bit of a reduction there. That should get some people off his back. Um, Minister of Service uh, for Alberta and Red Tape Reduction, Dale Nally. Um, Nally, Nally, I think it's Nally. Um, Minister of yeah. Technology and Innovation, Nate Glubish, that's a good fit. Um, yep, Minister of sure. Tourism and Sport, Joseph Scow, he can easily dunk, so that's a perfect fit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, he's like the biggest man in all yeah. of politics yeah. in Canada. Yeah. Well, and you can hop on his shoulders and get a good view, so that's a perfect fit. I'm joking. He's the best. He's always willing to join us. But almost every interview I do, both Dan Williams and Joseph Scow are, like, so tall. I'm a tall guy. I'm 6'2". They're the only people I have to, like, angle the camera, like, upwards and I know. kind of get the interview from underneath. You from. know how so far great. I'd have to back the camera up just to get all of us in the frame? Because I'm down here yeah. and they're, like, way yeah. up there. I interviewed Schultz right before him, and it was, like down to completely up it was it was a complete flip um devin drasheen on uh economic corridors and transportation and then here's an interesting one president of treasury board and minister of finance he's nate finance. Horner. yeah Do you know what though he's following in his dad's footsteps um yeah. who his dad doug who was also the finance minister here in alberta back in the old pc days yeah. Hmm, interesting. Um, another couple key positions, Shane Getson, Chief Whip, um, Joseph Scow, Great. House Leader. That's that's awesome. Um, Treasury Board members. I don't know if we need to go through all these people. Probably don't care very much. Yeah. But uh, Treasury, Treasury Board members, Cabinet Policy Committees, all that good stuff. Um, so there will be an Alberta First uh, Policy Committee, uh, Building Communities Policy Committee, um, Economic Diversification Policy Committee, and a public safety and wellness policy committee. So tackling those critical issues there head on. So uh, uh, there's nothing there that upsets me. There's some, definitely that Amory one's going to be interesting. He's a very competent guy, as you mentioned, a lawyer. Um, and he, he seems to be right on some issues. So that, that'll that be interesting I to see. Is anything too, else? I think too, with uh, Amory, he doesn't have any baggage. I think you need mm -hmm. a justice minister who doesn't bring with him any baggage. Uh, not particularly yeah. a Kenny loyalist, not particularly a Smith loyalist, um, not a lot of lockdown baggage tied to yeah. him. So I think that's maybe who exactly you need. 
Well, Lagrange kind of is the is the one really Nixon kind of, but not quite. So I think Lagrange is the only really really big Kenny holdover massive name who's in a massively critical position still. Yeah, but I think she's yeah. poised to fight with the unions, which. Yeah, I can't wait to see what happens next. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's it's good to see. I, I think you don't want complete turnover because that that sort of sows some seeds of destruction. To have some of the people still involved, but still new voices coming in, I think that's good for the party. So that's healthy. Um, I think probably what we'll do now, we'll jump to one last ad break, then we'll fly through the rest of our stories, get to some of your rumble rants, chats, whatever they may be, and we'll call it a day. Yeah. So let's jump to a quick ad break now, and we'll get back to these stories right after. Perfect. Spike protein in a post-pandemic world is something we all have to grapple with, whether you've had the virus, you've been vaccinated yourself, or if you're around those who were. The wellness company's Spike Support Formula is a daily supplement that can help you feel your best and then stay that way. Go to twccanada.health to get back to that pre-pandemic feeling with Spike Support. Use coupon code REVEL to save 10% off these doctor-formulated products, which are rooted in science. And for a limited time, your first month's membership is only 99 cents. That's twccanada.health, coupon code REVEL at checkout. It's time to put your wellness back in the driver's seat. Have you checked out the fresh new swag we have at rebelnewsstore.com? Like this nifty resistance trucker sweater. We have warm, cozy sweaters, t-shirts, mugs, hats, phone cases, you name it. Everything to fit your freedom-loving needs or maybe even trigger a liberal family member or friend. And for a limited time, you can use code SMERA10 at checkout to save 10% off of your total order. So head on over to rebelnewsstore.com Check out all of our new designs, make some purchases, and use code TAMARA, that's T-A-M-A-R-A, -A -A, 10 at checkout for 10% off your order. Head on over, check it out. get into um, some of the uh, Pride Month antics that we are seeing, uh, we'll start with the Higgs government faces caucus revolt over changes to LGBTQ school policy in New Brunswick. Um, you know, this story for me, the, the, the core of the sort of change here that's, that's receiving some backlash is that students under 16 who identify as trans or non-binary non rather, won't be able to officially change their names or pronouns uh, in school without parental consult. Uh, yeah, good. Uh, this is this is the norm for all of society and all of culture forever until the last six minutes. Um, the the outrage over this. Of course, your children can't change their genders or do anything. They can't go on a field trip. They can't watch a PG rated movie without getting permission. Uh, this this is insane to think that this one thing is exempt. Everything else you need permission for, but. This one thing is absolutely exempt and unquestioning. And people are acting as though this is a change to the law. This is a rebuttal to a newfangled thought process whereby kids under 16 can have private relationships with their teachers at schools and, and not keep their parents informed on something as critical as changing their gender identity. Um, this is so sick that this has become normalized, this sort of grooming behavior where teacher this is literally because we, we i used to work in a church we do a whole bunch of training about yeah. what to watch for as grooming behavior and the number one indic indicator is people like teachers or, or whether it be church workers teachers camp workers your local drag library story hour performer 
one of the key things you look for is, is targeting children and setting up sort of special agreements of communications away from the parents. Because the second you establish that we've got our own little secret, I'm the one, not your parent, that is basically the inroad. That's how people groom. I'm not calling anyone here groomers specifically, but I'm I saying might. 100%, 100% <laughs> this is your textbook grooming behavior. Now, all of a sudden, in the course of a couple of years, we've gotten to the point where we're like, yeah, no, I'm outraged that they want the parents to know what's going on with their kids in the school. This is completely backwards. I think that this outrage is manufactured or at least, or if not, it's completely diluted. No, you're an absolute weirdo if you think you're going to have a secret with my child without me knowing. I know everything. And if I don't know everything, I'm damn sure going to find out because that's my job as a parent. No unrelated adult. I don't care if you have access to my kids seven hours a day. Actually, I care extra if you have access to my kids seven hours a day without me being there. I want to know what's happening and you're not going to have secrets with my kid. And if you think you're going to have secrets with my kid, then now we've got a problem. But this is simply, as Adam, you rightly point out, a reaffirmation of normalcy, of normal, appropriate behavior of adults who are in positions of authority and power over other people's children. You don't get to change my child's gender without me knowing. What You don't get to change my child's gender whether I know it or not, that's not something that can happen. That's biologically not real. But to, to think that I don't have any input in any of this, besides just the stomping all over parents' rights and the incompatibility with biological reality, we know that kids who are struggling with gender identity, whether because they just struggle with gender identity or they've been infected with some sort of social contagion by an activist teacher or TikTok or whatever, we know that those kids are at an increased uh, probability of suicidality. So either they will try to take their own lives, they will have suicidal ideations, self-harm, or they may actually succeed in taking their own lives because those things go hand in hand. So it is a great irresponsibility for these teachers to not inform, oh my God, am I frozen? Okay. It's a great irresponsibility for these teachers to not inform the parents that the kids are struggling with their gender identity because parents yep. need to look out for suicidality. And if you're keeping this secret, this is a secret that could cost a child their life. So if you care about the health and safety of children, you must inform parents every step of the way, besides the fact yep. that it is completely normal for parents to know what their kids are doing. If it, like, let's let's concede their argument. This is about safety. Okay, perfect. Then you must inform the parents. And there, there's also the fact that the, like, breakdown of a natural and healthy relationship with your parents contributes yeah. to that. <laughs> if, if the concern here is about safety, well, if the concern is, say, the child is going to be hurt when they get home or they're going to be abused when they get home, well, that would be a matter for social services. And there are metrics in place to tackle those sorts of problems. So that is not what this is addressing whatsoever. But I, I had a conversation actually with a principal um, and they the, the school had a, a child who was identifying as trans. Now they actually uh, would, would, would come to youth group and they, they'd sort of feel included and loved and all that stuff was all good. Um, but the principal's like, oh, well, we don't want to challenge and we don't want to share any information with the parents or anything like that. And, and the fact is for children who are being encouraged, pushed or, or, or sort of, at least facilitated 
towards this outlet before they're in a mental capacity, before they've developed enough to make, make an informed decision. As you said, the suicidal ideation is something like 50%. Now, you didn't see 50% suicidal ideation um, during African-American slavery. You don't see suicidal ideation during slack, at that level during sex slavery right now in the world. You didn't see suicidal ideation like that during the Holocaust. There's basically right. no time of horrific persecution in human history where you see suicidal ideation of uh, sort of reaching anywhere near that level. The only community that experiences that is communities that have uh, are dealing with identity disorders. That's the only place that you see this. So excluding children from their families, alienating them, dividing them, and then encouraging them down this route that is from the evidence, from what we're seeing clinically, not age appropriate, you're encouraging them towards that path. And these people say that it's in the name of love. It's in the name of inclusivity. Inclusivity. It's not. It's in the name of cowardice. If you love these children, you know what? If some kid wants to be called Sally uh, and wants to wear a dress, have a conversation with their parents about it. Deal with it in whatever way you have to deal with it. Be loving, supportive. Don't necessarily encourage it, but do what you have to do. But covering it up, masking it, concealing it from the parents is categorically wrong and it is a recipe for disaster. This lies in the sort of underlying progressive mindset that the government knows better for your children than parents yeah. do. Parents will love their children yeah. uh, a million times more than the state ever will. And in the odd cases, whether it's because of, of substance abuse or mental illness or whatever, where they are not loving their children, then the state can step in and stop those abuses. We need to stop treating parents being like, well, I don't agree with your gender dysphoria because this is what we believe. That is not abuse, plain and simple. Um, couple more yeah, stories I just, on the same wave. Sorry, I just want ahead, to, before we, before we button that up, there's a bigotry of low expectations here that, um, yeah. but it, it, it's apparently an acceptable bigotry. The presumption here is that uh, Christian parents or parents who object to uh, gender theory are going to be abusive, harmful, or uncaring to their child who is struggling with these things. So these things must be kept from the parents. That's bigotry. Yeah. That presumes yeah. that those parents are inherently bad parents. Instead, they're probably really great parents who just want to be involved in every aspect of their child's lives um, and are being purposefully excluded by activist teachers. So there is an inherent sort of underlying anti-Christian oh. bigotry here that nobody wants to talk about. Absolutely. And we can, we can, this is actually perfect. We'll jump one story ahead here. Um, sure. It's very interesting to see that it is always the sentiment that it's anti-Christian and that Christians are the ones doing this. If we can pull up on Twitter, um, these protests at some of these pride events, um, yes. we've got these yes. young uh, <laughs> kids and uh, they're not, they're not Christian. They, they're Muslim. Um, they are stomp <laughs> yeah. They're stomping on pride flags. Now is stomping on flags, maybe the no, nicest I or most appropriate way. Ah, but uh, when, when, we're, when we're looking at the extremes that we're facing in the society, by juxtaposition, uh, it is certainly not just white Christians who are opposed to this. Um, we saw with Kathleen when we see right across so many of these things, when they go overboard, it is very often, whether it's the Armenian dads fighting Antifa or this, it's these groups who take a stand. You know what? Social conservatives are uniting all over the place, and I like to see that. Now, stomping on flags, I don't know. I, I can understand how that's objectionable. But is it any more objectionable than the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, no. the, those um, men who dress as female nuns to mock the people amongst us who are least deserving of mockery, nuns, women who devote themselves to a life of service and chastity yeah. and devotion and charity and community 
they're being mocked by these men in makeup. Um, so yeah. is is that any more offensive than stomping no. on some rainbow paper? I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I don't. But one is fine. The other, the government will call it hate crime. Except they're Muslim, right. so they'll probably get a free pass. We're because... gonna ignore it. We're gonna Ima ignore imagine it. if that was a redneck. If that was a redneck in a truck oh. doing burnouts on those, jail immediately. <laughs> yes, right. um, this way, they're gonna pretend to they jail. didn't see it. Okay, yeah. let's talk now. Let's jump to this video. Um, uh, changing changing topics entirely here. Uh, former President Donald Trump has released a video uh, responding to being indicted. Um, so some of the massive news of the day. Uh, yesterday really but uh some shocking news here certainly and then we'll sort of go through some of the tweets and provide some feedback but uh if we have that video ready we can jump to that very sadly we're a nation in decline and yet they go after a popular president a president that got more votes than any sitting president in the history of our country by far and did much better the second time in the election than the first, and they go after him on a boxer's hoax, just like the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, and all of the others. This has been going on for seven years. They can't stop because it's election interference at the highest level. There's never been anything like what's happened. I'm an innocent man. I'm an innocent person. They had the Mueller hoax, the Mueller report, and that came out. No collusion after two and a half years that was set up by Hillary Clinton and Democrats, but this is what they do. This is what they do so well. If they would devote their energies to honesty and integrity, it would be a lot better for our country. They could do a lot better. They could do a lot of great things. But when you look at what's happened to our country in the last three years, we were energy independent. We had a strong I think military. This is good, Olivia. Yeah. The rest of this is just goes into ba your basic campaign stump speech. But what happened here is Donald Trump has been indicted because he had boxes of documents, um, even though Joe Biden also has boxes of documents um, in his garage, apparently next door to his, what was it, uh, Corvette? Camaro? I don't know what he drives. I don't care. I don't think he should have a license, <laughs> quite frankly. So I hope <laughs> that car's collecting dust. But he had it just in his garage. He's got these boxes of documents. This is something that presidents do uh, because they have the ability to declassify anything that is in their possession, any government document. So um, this is clearly a witch hunt because Donald Trump is up double digits on the closest uh, Republican challenger and uh, the Democrats and the deep state, as they say, um, are going to do everything they can to protect their guy from not only challenges from without, so like Trump, but also challengers from within, um, as in uh, opening up him to um, a challenge from the young Kennedy politician who would like to become president. So I don't, I don't know. This is just madness. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. And I mean, <laughs> I think the progressives, you see, it's the same thing here in Canada. It's it's the, the just Trudeau can have all these violations. Any conservative politician would have been done by now. But it seems there's a free pass. <laughs> um, I, I like DeSantis's comments on this, actually, about how this is clearly a targeted uh, uh, persecution, uh, prosecution as well. Um, it'll be interesting to see, though, if this opens a can of worms, if this does proceed, if then they're, they manage to flip the script and the Bidens uh, have some come up and through what they do. Frankly, I mean, politics is not clean. There's a pretty decent probability that most yeah. people have been in, have been in the American office of president, um, have have done enough to probably get themselves into trouble. Um, 
certainly a lot of them have. They seem to be able to skate through. If all of a sudden they set this precedence, maybe Donald Trump did do enough, and there there is grounds for him to be targeted. Maybe he, I'm sure he isn't perfectly crystal clear, but compared to some of the past actions that we've seen, compared to the actions um, of of this government presently. I don't know. It certainly opens uh, a can of worms here. So yeah, you're you're electing the next president. You're not canonizing the next saint. Um, exactly. So you just to get to that point in your political career, I'm just going to assume you've done some shady stuff, <laughs> or like or yeah. like waltzed all over the boundaries of what's legal and what's not. Um, but this kind of stuff blows up in the Democrats' face because what this does is it takes your like your civilized Nikki Haley voter. And they say, oh, hell no. And they move over to Trump and they're the, or the Chris Christie voter who's, I don't know, campaigning against Trump for some reason. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you saw his announcement. I'm like, are you are you campaigning for Joe Biden? I'm unclear. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but it, those people who are like, oh, I like Chris Christie, he kind of, you know, he's what I'm not sure why. But anyway, um, those people end up in the Trump camp because they see this as an attack on them. And on Republicans and all those people, the normals of the world, that they can use all the political machinery to shut you up, too. If they can do it to Trump, they can do it to you. It scares people over into the Trump camp, and that's going to blow up in the Democrats' faces, and I cannot wait. Yeah, it's going to be something else. Um, we're just going to pull up one quick other video yes. here before we get to our chats and wrap up. The NDP? Um, is, is it the NDP yeah. thing? I love yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, let, let, let's run that clip, and we'll react to that, and then we'll wrap up with some chats. Mr. Speaker, exclusionary policies that ban trans women and girls from sports are cruel human rights violations. There is no credible scientific evidence to support these bans. The real threat to women's sports is not Eyeballs. trans women, it's systemic and discriminatory underfunding of women's sports. Yeah. Human rights protections are only meaningful when the government takes a stand in defense of rights and against discrimination. My question is, what is the Minister of Sport doing to bring an end to trans exclusionary policies at organizations like Swim Canada? Yeah. The Honourable Minister for Sports. I'd like to thank yeah. my colleague yeah. for his question. It's fine. She's just going to say, yep, we agree that uh, yeah. boys should be allowed to tackle Sheila's daughter on the rugby <laughs> field. <laughs> That's what they're going to say. Like, yeah. especially they're talking about Swim Canada. Like, read the room, people. That is the flashpoint of all of this stuff is yeah. swimming. It's Leah Thomas, Liar Thomas, pretending to be a woman because he was a mediocre male swimmer. So then he tucked his wiener into a lady's swimsuit and cleaned the clocks of all the female athletes who had worked their lives to be in the place that they were. And so then they stand up and say, there's no scientific evidence. There's no scientific evidence that things happen to male bodies that don't happen to female bodies during puberty, that you don't have a larger heart, larger lung capacity, stronger cardiovascular system, bone density, muscle mass, that testosterone has an effect on muscle mass. Like I'm old enough to remember last week when testosterone was a performance enhancing drug. And now you can just have it coursing through your body and compete against my daughter. What is yeah. wrong with these people? And it's just like, the, it's the, there's no scientific evidence. This is the, the funny thing. The same people who say trust the science say there's no difference. Sheila, you could work out as long as you want 
for your entire life. I could stop working out immediately right now <laughs> and I will always I be able to lift twice <laughs> what you can lift, no matter what you do. Um, literally, uh, you can look at, I can almost lift like in every category, the women's like records and I don't yeah. work out all that much. It's in this this cognitive dissonance between reality and, and this sort of need to adhere principally to these insane, this is empty, vapid rhetoric. Nobody believes this whatsoever. And, and the human rights violation that's occurring is, is young girls, women being exposed, not only to athletes who can clearly outperform them and make their sort of career seem meaningless in a way it's so brutal what is happening here but it's also the literal exposure to male genitalia i believe leah thomas was seen several times erect in the women's locker room like this is insane that we're acting like that person is the victim of what is happening here the other thing that i want to touch on here and it's because i'm so sick of hearing about this it's been debunked so many times women tend to get more funding as athletes the other thing too sure. is they also get a greater share of and you can look at these numbers for yourself you can take basically any professional sporting event like i i think they did it for soccer men make 10 times as much as the women but they're getting something like six percent of the pool um, of money that's being made women get like 25 percent of the money being made but there's so much there's so much less money going into women's sports because people don't watch it as much they get more funding they did a breakdown i think it was the, of the wnba and saying they wanted more profit sharing well the nba is basically paying to keep those leagues afloat and if they got a profit share they'd actually each owe something like eighty thousand dollars a year because it's all in the hole they're losing money so you can i, I like attending women's sports games women's hockey's come a long way um some of the girls can even skate almost as fast as the boys it's pretty incredible to see uh to sort of encourage women to compete with each other, to have sports, all that stuff is absolutely incredible. But we don't have to lie about it. We don't have to pretend they're the same as men. And we certainly don't and shouldn't allow men to compete with them when there's clear distinctions there. Um, there create some sort of alternative league. Um, Sabine Hoffen, Hossenfelder, um, who's an astrophysicist, did a breakdown of this and said there should be a league where steroids allow are allowed. There's no rules whatsoever. Yeah. You can compete in whatever sort of category you want. Everyone will hit balls 800 yards and throw a thousand touchdowns yeah sure let's completely open it up but you can't have it let's both put ways. robots in it too let's add robots exactly. into the mix dude hey, i'm just the making robot it interesting identifies as a woman whatever i don't care so, this is wild this is crazy anyways well, I, I think uh, sorry just on that this. note there there are sports that are women's sports that are interesting to watch like yes women's rugby they are as big a draw as the men like their World yeah. Cup, they filled their stadium. It's an exciting sport. The The league does a great job at promoting it. It's fun. It's engaging for the fan. It's not too expensive to attend. And a whole generation of young girls are getting interested in the sport. Their professional league is exploding in the United States. The Premier Sevens is because it's fast, it's exciting, and it's fun. But women's soccer is really boring. Like, like really, really boring. Smoked. There's like the 12 yeah, nothing win by a bunch of old retired guys. There's a video online. It's a it's a one-legged a team of one-legged men versus a local women's team. So they're dudes on crutches with one legs and they clean up. Like they dominate. Yeah. It's it's, it's, it's sorry. so boring. Yeah. yeah. And then, <laughs> but you look at this, you look at sports like volleyball has higher viewership internationally than 
than you better than, believe uh, it. <laughs> hockey, for example. Yeah, that's women. No one's watching the men play volleyball. So yeah, it's 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 wild. There's there's I don't know. There's ample opportunity for sports. Lots of Canadian athletes without being forced. You look at Penny, Penny Alexiak. She's one of the biggest athletes in Olympics. Can she swim faster than the men? No, but it doesn't matter. She's a hero. She's an icon. We're talking about Swim Canada. You can look at somebody like that, and they didn't need this sort of. Nonsense. But what they did have was an opportunity to compete against people with biological similarities, not people who were going to quite literally blow them out of the water. Um, yep. Wild to see. And again, this goes back to what we were talking about at the start of the stream, that the, this thing that seemed crazy six minutes ago, now if you're opposed to it, the, these progressives are like, how dare you? How dare you take this position and we need to change this back to the way it used to be. Like, that's not the way it used to be. They're referring to a time when this didn't exist as this being the norm, which isn't the case whatsoever. Um, I think people are waking up to this, though. The second you go after people's kids, children, sports, uh, you saw the Muslim families. When you go after schools, that's when everyone was like, OK, OK, that's enough. Uh, people are rejecting this en masse. Uh, the, the budget of uh, the ad budgets backfiring for Bud Light and some of these other organizations. Yeah, people people up, are waking we've, up. We've come a long way from being skeptical of the Soviet athletes because we're like, are, is that a dude? Is that a lady? <laughs> is that runner a dude to like, oh, that is a dude. And isn't it beautiful? Like we've come yeah, like full circle. Now they're the only Russians anybody likes. It's completely flipped. <laughs> the trans if, you, you, if you're Russian, bad. If you're a Russian trans athlete, though, that's good. So those people are, yeah, it's wild. Sheila, yeah. anything else before we hit these chats? No, let's get to the chats. We're over time. All right. Ableist SL, uh, regressives taking over open source software community are pushing licenses that ban everyone that doesn't cater to them from using, uh, forking their software. Can governments ban those licenses? No idea. That's a really good question. It seems like a whole report for someone very tech-oriented. Yes, uh, and I'm always like, when this question is, can the government anything? I'm like, I hope they don't. Like, I, no. just, I hope yeah, they, no, don't. they I can't. hope they don't get involved. <laughs> you heard it here first. Government, you're not allowed. Uh, Fraser <laughs> McBurney, great to see you again. All caps lock, $5. Usually on Sundays, I'm at Hamilton City Hall, but this Sunday we're at... Bayfront Park having our potluck picnic. If you are uh, part of a group, come or a group come join us. We'll have fun 12 to 3 Sunday. Fraser McBurney. Um, and another one from Fraser McBurney. Again, all caps lock, $5. Yeah. While shopping this week, I met three women, one from Cuba. Could not speak English. The other two women um, were from Zimbabwe. Uh, what uh, What is their skill leave that Canada needs? Very nice people. I don't know. I didn't meet them. So maybe they're very high skilled expertise. Maybe they're business owners. Maybe they're opening a restaurant. Hard to say. But uh, if she's yeah. from Cuba, yeah. I want her. If she's from Cuba, yeah, I'll take Cuba. I want her. She's, yeah. yeah, she's a refugee from an authoritarian regime in search of freedom. So um, welcome. <laughs> yeah. If she's from Cuba, Bien let's venidos. have her. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much. It's been great. Thanks for everyone who joined us, whatever platform you joined us on a bit over, but we did have that whole big cabinet announcement right in the middle. We're happy to be mm -hmm. able to bring that information to you. We'll continue to bring you the other side of the story uh, when it comes to this newly formed government and some of the action they take. Uh, Sheila, any final words for our viewers? No, I just want to thank everybody for tuning in. I want to thank everybody in the studio who works behind the scenes. I want to apologize for the um, 
hard start of the show where I forgot that I work for this company and what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> and I want to thank everybody who pitched in a little bit of money to keep the lights on. And Adam, great job today. And as David Menzies always says, stay sane. <laughs>